Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is indeed the 28th of June, 2021. So <clears throat> I want to get right back into our discussion of senescence because, as you know, we're wrapping up our discussion of human aging, and I want to get all this uh, information on the audio podcast server so that I can finish the video. Uh, which is uh, already written. I just haven't uh, published it yet. Uh, I haven't produced it or published it yet because I want to get these audio podcasts um, uh, locked in so that we can use this as a reference. So remember that there's a discussion or there's an argument in the scientific literature that says that, and, and also from what I previously just uh, left you on the uh, last two lectures, that senescent cells may drive both aging and cancer. Of course, you can consider other um, high levels of mortality diseases, such as cardiovascular uh, disease, as being linked to that as well. But right now, we're just talking about aging and cancer. So the senescent cells drive that. Well, we know that senescent cells can disrupt normal tissue structures. For example, the presence of senescent fibroblasts disrupts alveolar and branching morphogenesis, according to the literature. Unknown caller. Sorry about that. Also, the effects of the senescent fibroblasts were due primarily in, in this paper to the secretion of matrix metalloproteinases, MMPs uh, for short, which are, as we have been describing, prominent SASP components. Remember, senescence-associated secretory phenotype is SASP. Now, these senescence-mediated effects are hypothesized to cause, and I would use that word very guardedly, more like contribute to age-related changes uh, in physiology. So senescent pulmonary smooth muscle cells stimulated the proliferation and indeed migration of neighboring smooth muscle cells in part due to the secretion of the following uh cytokines il6 il8 and indeed extracellular matrix enzymes including the metalloproteinases now these senescence mediated events are hypothesized to cause or at least contribute to the intimal thickening and medial hypertrophy of the pulmonary artery, which can result at this stage in pulmonary hypertension. So this is something we should be keeping in mind because it seems like it could be associated to some of the morbid diseases, right? Indeed, uh, I would argue that, th that they are. So let's continue on. Another example uh, that we can describe is that senescent cells have been shown to increase the frequency in normal and premature aging of skin cells. And this contributes to age-related dermal and epidermal thinning and the loss of collagen, perhaps owing to the secretion of, yes, matrix metalloproteases. So senescent cells and the SASP K 
can also fuel overt age-related disease. For example, senescence and associated SASP of astrocytes can promote the age-related neurodegeneration that we observe, and that can give rise to cognitive impairment as well as to frank Alzheimer's disease and indeed Parkinson's. So we know that senescent cells can drive hyperplastic pathologies. Co-injection of a senescent but not a non-senescent fibroblast will significantly stimulate the proliferation of both mouse and human epithelial tumor cells in an immunocompromised mouse model. In addition to stimulating tumor growth in mice, SAS factors themselves can stimulate malignant phenotypes in culture. One such phenotype is the epithelial to mesenchymal transition that I've talked about a great deal on authentic biochemistry and in my uh, YouTube video lectures. So this morphological transition, the epithelial to mesenchymal transition, or the EMT, enables transformed epithelial cells to indeed invade and migrate through tissue beds, and it is considered critical in the development of metastatic cancer. So let's discuss here an autophagy senescence transition in tumor stromal cells, which we know promotes anabolic tumor growth and metastasis. This is one way of looking at it. Cancer cells can secrete oxidative stress factors, for example, hydrogen peroxide. That can induce autophagy in cancer-associated fibroblasts. Additionally, caveolin, remember that's a protein in caveole, which are modified membrane structures that have high levels of transmission of signaling internally and externally of the cell, particularly involving lipid metabolism. So additionally, caveolin-1 loss leads to an activation of connective tissue growth factor, that CTGF, and the epoxia-inducible factor 1-alpha, both of which mediate autophagy and senescence in those stromal cells being affected. So that's actually got a name that's called autophagy senescence transition, or AST. Sorry for all the acronyms, but you can understand why we use them, because uh, saying these phrases over and over again can get somewhat cluttered when we're trying to make uh, uh, discrete points on pathophysiology and indeed in pathobiochemistry. So bear with me on this. So AST, once again, I'll explain that as autophagy senescence transition leads to mitophagy, which is the degradation, self-immolation of mitochondria. AS leads to mitophagy, and because of that, elevated glycolysis, which we know uh, anaerobic, uh, aerobic glycolysis is a hallmark of cancer. Okay, So AS leads to mitophagy and elevated glycolysis in this cell model where they're looking at cancer-associated fibroblasts. Indeed, aerobic glycolysis results in the elevated production of several nutrients such as pyruvate, ketone bodies, and yes, indeed, lactate, which will be utilized by cancer cells for tumor growth and metastasis, 
much more so than if the cells are involved in a very oxidative beta oxidation of fatty acids. So what do we know about the emergence of senescence-associated cancer-like stem cells? Let's get into this now. Activation-induced cell death. Sorry for the acronym again, but that's AICD of T lymphocytes is a process for regulating the peripheral immune system, okay? The fate of a T cell then is controlled by numerous signals, and those are gonna be derived from various stimuli, for example, antigens, right? Through antigen-presenting cells, cytokines, usually pro-inflammatory, sometimes just pro-regulatory, and of course, chemokines for trafficking of cells. Now, healthy humans, an overactivated or autoreactive T cell will be harmful, but they are eliminated quickly to maintain the immune homeostasis. So AICD, that's activation-induced cell death in T cells by the FAS-FAS-L ligand system, and that's a mediated apoptosis, is actually triggered by the switch from life to death through several signaling molecules, some of which I've already just mentioned. So the controller distribution of FAS, that's FAS, or FAS ligand expression, largely affects the AICD of T lymphocytes. Although in autoimmune diseases are considered to be induced by multiple factors, an impaired immune system because of activation-induced cell death by the FAS-FASL-mediated apoptosis does lead to the onset or development of autoimmune disorders directly. Now, based on published reports, um, it looks like regulatory mechanisms involved in AICD of T cells by FAS-FASL-mediated apoptosis does provide for associations between AICD and autoimmunity that can be found both in human systems and in the animal models, okay? So I'm going to give you the references for all these papers. I am Right now, I'm just giving you the information itself. Let's talk about impaired immunological responsiveness, which, of course, is common in the elderly. The immunological competence of an individual is determined by the presence of mature lymphocytes formed in, of course, initially in the primary lymphoid organs, but also in secondary lymphoid tissues, such as, yes, the liver, the lung, and most interestingly, the GI tract. So immunological equilibrium requires a steady lymphocyte output. Usually here we're talking about CD4 positive, CD8 positive, uh, relatively naive T lymphocytes. And you also require a controlled expansion of those lineages. So there is thymic and lymph node stromal microenvironments, and they represent <clears throat> key elements in the development of the adaptive immune system, which of course is going to involve T and B cells. Consequently, impairment of the lymphoid microenvironment will ultimately lead to an insufficiency of primary and secondary immune responses, including signaling 
and also the frank immune uh, associated removal of potential pathogens or um, dangerous antigens that are associated perhaps with cells that are otherwise uh, either becoming apoptotic for a reason linked to cancer or they're becoming autophagic or apoptotic either because of some other uh, pathophysiological response in those cells. So anyway, insufficient primary and secondary immune responses, or in fact, the decline of thymic selection, which we talked about before, manifests in an immune senescence, which is accompanied by a late onset, sometimes years later, autoimmune disease. And this is what can be shown clearly in the elderly. So self tolerant cytotoxic T lymphocytes and TH lymphocytes, the T helper lineages, uh, that CD8 positive, CD4 positive respectively, are crucial regulatory cells, of course, in the entire adaptive immune uh, phenotype. And they develop into all those specialized epithelial network of the thymus. That's, that's where they originated from. So the thymus, however, of course, gradually loses its capacity to support lymphopoiesis. We've talked a great deal about this too. And it's because of what we call an involution process that ultimately results in the decline of de novo T cell production. So compared to young counterparts, the aged follicular dendritic cells express significantly less CD21 ligand and another protein called FC gamma R2. Now, as a consequence of that decrease in expression, aged FDCs, those are follicular dendritic cells, lose their ability to trap immune complexes. And then for it, they cannot present antigens to T and B cells. This in turn leads to impaired germinal center reactions and antibody production from the B cell lineage, and then a quantitative change of the peripheral lymphoid tissue. And that's all gonna be less corrupted during aging, unlike the adipose involution, which can occur in, of, in the thymus. So T cell progenitors migrate to the thymus from bone marrow, of course, where they undergo an extensive differentiation and selection process that we've talked about in the past. Thymocytes then representing different stages of development occupy distinct regions of the thymus. Again, we mentioned this in the past. So CD4 negative, CD8 negative, CD44 positive, CD25 negative thymocyte progenitors, which are referred to as double negative ones or DN1 cells, are typically found near their site of entry at, at the region of cortical medullary junction. Slightly more mature, CD4 negative, CD8 negative, CD44 positive, CD25 positive, and these are gonna be called DN2 lineage, that subset is found throughout the cortex, whereas the CD4 negative, CD8 negative, CD44 negative, CD25 positive or DN3 subset is concentrated below the capsule. Okay, all this for now we're talking about uh, thymus um, anatomy. 
microanatomy. So post-recombination of the antigen receptor, the T-cell antigen receptor, the TCR genes, CD4 positive, CD8 positive, or DPs, double positive thymocytes, undergo then positive, which is functional TCR, and negative non-self-reactive TCR selection in the cortex and the medulla, finally leaving the thymus for the periphery as a CD4 negative, CD8 positive cytotoxic T cell lineage, or a CD4 positive, CD8 negative helper, single positive, mature, both in both uh, situations, naive T lymphocytes. Yeah. So T cell development requires the interaction of the thymocytes with the thymic stroma for T cell differentiation and indeed selection. And we've talked about this. I, I'm sorry I keep on reminding you, but I want to remind you because you can go back and listen to more detail here because this is a summary. The transcription factor FOXN1 expression in early stages of thymus or thymal organogenesis is regulated by the secreted WINT4 signaling pathway where mature thymic epithelia consisting of the cortex and the medulla, which apart from producing chemokines that attract hematopoietic stem cells to the thymus, also will contribute to the establishment of a special thymic microenvironment because of this wind for signaling, right? So the thymic epithelial network regulates migration, if you're following along, and differentiation of developing T lymphocytes via the initial cytokine stimulation. Thymocytes bearing diverse TCR repertoire are selected by, of course, MHC, that is major histocompatibility complex molecules, and the MHC bound antigen complex. That's all presented by thymic stroma, including epithelial cells. Now, remember that during T cell development, precursors enter the thymus at the cortical medullary junction, only to migrate to the outer cortex and onward to the medulla, where they finally leave to go to the periphery. So the cortex is important here in producing chemokines, which attract prothymocytes, and then they orchestrate positive selection why the medullary epithelium is implicated in driving the final stages of thymocyte maturation for tolerance induction. Thymic epithelium is also the source of other secreted and cell surface proteins that regulate T cell development. Now, those proteins include ones we've discussed before, the bone morphogenic protein or the BMP, and of course, Notch and Wnt, and, and those constellation of family members of those two protein families, Notch and Wnt. So here are some observations. Cancers of epithelial origin, and those are known as carcinomas. Uh, I'm sorry for the uh, 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 people who study this for a living, but cancers of epithelial origin are known as carcinomas, and they're the most frequent type of malignancy in humans with their incidence and aggressiveness increasing, yes, as we age. That observation raises the question as to whether aging process itself contributes to this overall tumorigenesis. 
in that regard, telomere biology seems to play what looks like to be a crucial role since the shortening of the telomeres and then the inability of telomerase to express to repair them has been associated with cellular senescence and organismal aging. And yes, this has been associated or linked with cancer incidence and besides that morbidity, mortality. In the multi-step carcinogenesis model that's been described in the literature, telomere shortening has been observed together with increased chromosome instability. Talked about this in the past. We're going to start calling chromosome instability SIN, not S-I-N, but C-I-N. And that happens in early precancerous conditions. Experimental models, animal models, and, ce and cell lineages in culture have also shown that a transient period of telomere instability followed by a reactivation of tel telomerase, right, contributes to the acquisition of the metastatic phenotype. This is one of the reasons it's believed that telomerase expression declines with age, because if you have a period of telomere instability followed by an uptick or reactivation of telomerase, that's how you can drive directly into metastasis. And this, of course, is associated with aging. So we can ask the question, what about the SASP? Telomere-driven chromosome instability, we'll just call that T-SYN, in human epithelial kidney cells, these are the HEK lineage everybody uses, induces a global microRNA deregulation and an acquisition of phenotypes, which of course suggest in this, in this study, metastatic capacity. On the other hand, senescent cells display the so-called senescence-associated secretory phenotype, which normally is considered to comprise the secretion of a large variety of cytokines, growth factors, and enzymes like metalloproteases, that are expected to alter the surrounding microenvironment, all working in what we can call a paracrine fashion. So the epithelial, the mesenchymal transition is the emerging mechanism, which has been described for the last 10 years, at least in the literature, linking senescence to cancer. Been shown that senescent fibroblasts, these are the earlier studies, promote tumor progression and tumorigenesis by pre-malignant cells. SASP also seems to impact the differentiation status of tumor cells and induces an epithelial to mesenchymal transition. Again, that's the EMT, right? Now, on the other hand, cancer-associated fibroblasts, that is senescent fibroblasts, will promote tumorigenesis of pre-malignant cells on their own. And we know about this too, we just talked about it, right? This is the knock-on effect of having senescent cells promoting senescence or sometimes ca um, um, cancer in non-adjacent cells via signaling, remember? That was the th whole discussion of one of the previous um, lectures. So the epithelium mesenchymal transition is a biological process that allows polarized epithelial cells normally interact with basement membrane via the basal surface, surface to undergo multiple 
biochemical transformations that will enable that system to assume a mesenchymal cell lineage phenotype, which includes, yep, enhanced migratory capacity, because now they're mesenchymal cells, the invasiveness and elevated resistance to programmed cell death, and a greatly increased production of extracellular matrix components. So the completion of the EMT is signaled by the degradation of the underlying basement membrane because of those MMPs and, the, and reactive oxygen and the formation of a mesenchymal cell that ultimately can migrate away from the epithelial layer in which it had originated. So distinct molecular processes indeed are engaged right, in order to initiate that EMT, epithelial mesenchymal transition, including the activation of all these transcription factors we've been discussing and the expression of specific cell surface proteins. Those are going to be working as receptors and also as voltage-gated channels. Reorganization expression of the cytoskeletal domains containing proteins, of course, and the production of ECM-degrading enzymes. Those are the MMPs and ultimately changes in the expression of, as I just mentioned, or introduced microRNAs. So now we're getting heavily into an epigenetic reprogramming of these synastin cells linked to the SASP organization in aging. Okay. So there are biomarkers for this ETM transition. We can study them looking at the zona occludens, right? So the epithelial phenotype you have E-cadherin, you have cytokeratin, you have a zona occludens 1 protein, you have laminin 1, and you have another protein called intactin. You also have syndecan, the MUC1, desmoplankin, and the alpha 1, actually a 4 family, collagen, and then you have microRNA 200 family being expressed in the epithelia. Now, as you move to an intermediate phenotypes, the cell starts to transition. Remember what I'm talking, this is now the event ontology of EMT. So they start to transition, you get a progressive loss of epithelial markers and the gain of all the mesenchymal markers. When you get to mesenchymal phenotype, these are going to have FTS binding protein, FAP, you're going to have FSP1, you're going to have N-cadherin, vimentin, fibronectin, beta-catenin, OB-cadherin, um, alpha-5-B1 integrin, syndecan-1, not that the original syndecan, and now you're going to get a microRNA 10B. So you're going to change their microRNA um, classification. You're also going to get other proteins made, um, CYP1, alpha-SMA, the twist protein, uh, LEF1, FOXC2, and ultimately you're going to get more microRNA 21 building up and fully expressing now mesenchymal cells. So you see how this transition went down with all those different protein lineages. I would even started to invoke the changes in lipid lineages, not just in the plasma membrane, which is going to involve turnover of sphingolipids and phospholipids, 
And some of that's going to involve increases, of course, in ceramide, ceramide 1-phosphate, and sphingosine. And what that will lead to then is alterations in membrane graft mobility. Membrane graft mobility is going to then change and alter all the membrane surface proteins we just talked about. That's how you get from epithelial cell to a mesenchymal cell. So you have all this change in gene expression, but it's also linked to how the plasma membrane of those cells is interacting with the environment that's inducing this EMT, right? So you have a, an external environmental queuing up of the change from epithelial to mesenchymal. Then you also have an internal flocculation of changing transcription factor expression and, of course, metabolic reprogramming, which involves a lot of changes in lipid metabolism, nucleotide metabolism, and then what supports that, such things as the oxidative pentose phosphate shunt, uh, favored over glycolytic pathway so that you're making more NADPH and more ribose 5-phosphate, thus altering uh, nucleotide metabolism, leading to both changes in DNA and RNA metabolism in the nucleus that would involve DNA replication as well as transcription patterns. So I'm running out of time. I'm going to stop here. Dr. Dan Guerra on the 28th of June, 2021, saying bye for now.